DJ Council. I view the world through the lens of having been followed by a white clerk as a child while shopping in a five and dime. I'm a retired police executive and own you and 50, which gives guidance on surviving interactions with police. I'm Harmony Chavis, and I view the world through the lens of one of the most misunderstood and diverse generations in our nation's history. I'm a social worker and a believer of radical kindness and love as modalities of healing. My name is Andrew Council. I view the world through the lens of a generational camera phone. I wake up as a black male and go to bed as a black male. I am surviving this never-ending court case we commonly call life in the best way I know how. All right, welcome back. I'm hoping everybody's uh, safe and well. Uh, Seems like it's been a while, but I know what has been a while is my nephew is back. And so we're real excited to welcome welcome him back to the podcast. He got an internship, so we'll get to him in just a minute. Uh, but we're gonna, we'll do the, it's uh, just going to be the three of us kind of chatting about, about a couple of things today. So first of all, I kind of want to ask Andrew how he's been, what kind of internship you've got, because you've been away from us for at least two or three shows. So how you doing, man? I'm doing good. Thank you for asking. It's good to be back. Good to see y'all's faces and hear y'all's voices. Um, but yes, the internship that I obtained for this spring semester is um, takes place on the same day that we would usually record. Um, and it, I have a meeting or a Zoom meeting every night or every Monday night from around 5 to 8 p.m. Um, uh-huh. And basically, my the title of my of what I'm doing basically is a marketing and, and research intern or I'm the, I'm the marketing and research intern for um, the Greensboro Chamber of Commerce, where wow. um, specifically the, the, I guess the subset that I work for is um, called Launch Greensboro. And basically they are a, um, a program that hosts different um, professional, professional development events for entrepreneurs in the triad area. Um, and basically they give us the interns work Basically, we, we do independent contract work for the entrepreneurs. So um, a lot of work that I've been doing has been in marketing and research, specifically building marketing plans, building things um, for them to be able to use within their companies, doing a lot of research um, and competitive research and, and, and a lot analysis for them as well, too. So it's good hands-on work for what I want to do after I graduate. So I'm very blessed to have the opportunity to work with them. Wow, that's impressive with the Greensboro Chamber of Commerce, man. That's a, uh, woo. That's that's a. Uh, let's see, Harmony over there shaking her head like that's that's <laughs> awesome. You. This yeah. food is good. It is smacking. But Andrew, like I'm, I don't know. Well, I was on mute, but I said, "Damn." <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I didn't even know that that was like a resource that existed, though. That's really cool. It is. It's really nice. They. It's. It's very helpful for them because. Because um, a lot of them are just starting out, um, and then some of them have already been in business for years too. But the the knowledge that is shared can be used for um, any platform that they um or any step stool that they're on. Um, right. So it's very, very helpful for them to be able to get this knowledge. And then they have like not really free interns, but we get paid for the work that we do. But we don't get paid by them. We get paid by, of course, um, the Greensboro Chamber of Commerce. So right. um, they get free intern work for anything that they need. So which is really helpful. Whoa, was that only for Greensboro? <laughs> <laughs> yes, unfortunately. But they, I've heard that they have different programs like similar to this in other areas as well, too. Oh, really? That's what uh, I've heard. That. Yes, that's what I heard. Uh, so I need you I so I guess I need to do a little research at the Durham Chamber. <laughs> yes. <laughs> See if they got anything for the for this one business person. Okay. Wow, that's great. Congratulations. That sounds like uh so how do you see that evolving into your career? Yeah, what is that? Um, so, as I mentioned, I think I mentioned before, like when we first started this show, I'm kind of applying for positions within journalism as well as marketing and research specifically. So, um, and also customer experience engineering as well, too. So, um, a lot of things that I'm doing now are going straight from the work that I'm doing straight to my portfolio. Um, so, I'm able to add every, everything that I'm doing to um, to the, my portfolio and use it as transferable work experience um, that someone or an employer can look at. Um, to see how I can add to their company. So I'm, I've been getting a lot of experience and a lot of tangible things that I can add to my mm-hmm. resume, which is really good. Yeah, that is really good. Wow, good for you. That's awesome. I'm really I'm really happy for you and I'm very proud of you. And I I'm, can't wait to see you get out there and knock it down, knock it down. 
Yeah, that's awesome. I'm just really, and I'm also just excited to have you back, uh, the teams back together. So it's been really cool. So thank you. Um, Harmony. Um, hey. Hey. So how you been? It's been a couple of weeks since we've chatted or seen each other. T- tell us, how's Molly? Molly's good. Um, for background, I guess, because most people won't know this. She had to have emergency surgery. She had something called a pyometra, which is um, an infection of the uterus. So they had to go in and take out her uterus and both of her ovaries. But she's doing good. Good. She's yeah. hanging in there. And how old is Molly again? Molly is 10. 10. Wow. So hers yeah. an old lady. She's a good girl, though. She's a she's good girl. Yeah. 10 is I'm good. good. I'm 200 times better now that I've eaten. Like, I had not eaten all day. My friend bought me... Um, like a smoothie from Smoothie King, but you know how I eat. Like that was nothing. <laughs> that didn't even scratch the sur- Why are you not eating? That's not healthy. I mean, um, so, look, I'm sounding like a mother now. You know, the like, okay, dad. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, it was just a busy day. Okay. And, oh, and I wanted to make my, okay. I mean, let me just calm down because this really pisses me off. So I recently been trying to transition to like gluten-free products. Mm. So I've just been, you know, trying stuff. Because this shit is expensive. Yeah. I got these $5 bagels and it was only four of those motherfuckers in there. Excuse me. Sorry. <laughs> I opened it today for breakfast. I'm like, you know, you know, this is gluten-free. Like, I'm excited about this to see how it tastes, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm trying to really pump this up mainly because it costs $5. Every single bagel has mold on it. Mm. And I just, I was like, I'm done. Oh. Do you hear waffles in the background? A little bit, but not loud. This is also disgusting. He's humping something. Well, we've we've had that conversation. <laughs> That's what he's doing right now. <laughs> and do not we're not going to take that out either. I'm not mad at a cat for humping. That's all. I'm, I'm not mad at the cat. So cool. All right. Well, I'm glad we're, we're, we're all back together. We're just going to kind of talk about a couple of things and a couple of topics that I want to toss out. Um, there has been in the news media recently. Uh, Fuquay Varina, I think it was a 15-year-old who was hand, 14, I'm sorry, a 14-year-old that was handcuffed and put in the back of the car because they thought he had, um, he'd been accused of possibly having um, some stolen property. And, and in reality, it turned out he had actually had a rece- receipt for it and, and was not aware that it had been stolen. So there is a lot of conversation in Fuquay around that. And then the other thing that I'd like to kind of toss out or talk a little bit about is uh, uh, working on this project for you and 5 and, and doing Black History Month, decided to do a little research on the conversation for mainly sometimes for folks, especially police officers, why black, why black folks looking at y'all sideways? You know, why, why black folks looking at the popo sideways? And then so I did some, been doing some, some work on that and just delving into the history, black history uh, of you know, slave patrols and on, on up. So I found, found a couple of things I'd like to just for us to kind of all put out there that we can talk about. So let's let's talk about this young man. And uh, his name is Malcolm Ziegler, Z-I-G-L-E-R. I've also seen it spelled as Z-I-G-L-A-R. So I apologize if I'm based on the thing that I got. So did you guys get a chance to read this article about this young man and his mother and, you know, and, and, and the incident that occurred? Okay. So, I mean, just for our audience, you haven't heard about it. Uh, On January 30th of 2021, they handcuffed the young man and put him in the back of a car. There was a white male youth with him and they, he said, I wasn't involved and let, and just kind of let him get out of the car. And he was in front of his house and they wouldn't allow him to go. He said, I have a receipt for this. It feels like a dirt bike or four wheeler. He said, and I think as he and his dad bought it, they have a receipt for it. And I think they kind of cleaned it up and fixed it and were about to sell it. Um, the owners somehow or another saw it for sale. I guess that's what you do. You go looking for stuff. And when they came, they said they would buy it. And the, unbeknownst to them, this was the owner. They went to get, they called police. They came back with the police because the it was stolen. But um, the young man, his father actually had a receipt. They didn't steal it. And the officer um, the young man was, based on what I've read, was very compliant. Uh, said, I need to talk to my dad, but handcuffed him, put him back in the back of the police car. And it kind of, I mean, nobody has shot anything. It was just the fact that he didn't believe the young man, didn't just go knock on the door. 
And then a supervisor for Fuqua Verena, uh, for this officer, told the officer, based on what I've read, is you can't, you know, let the guy, let him go. But he's now traumatized because he was cuffed and he wasn't being heard. So what did you guys think about that? I think the situation just in general kind of shocked me um, because I feel like that I've, I've seen and witnessed in that experience where police or some police officers, like, I guess their focus, it's, how am I trying to say this? It's like, they're so focused, they don't hear, if that makes any sense. And yeah. a lot of things, um, the difference in between like hearing and listening, like, of course you hear me, but you're not listening to anything that's that's going on or being said. Mm-hmm. Um, and the trauma that like goes along with that, I think the whole in- incident could have been um, avoided. And I just think about the trauma that's gonna, that's never gonna leave his mind. Right. Um, like the experience that happens, like he'll be 50, 60 years old, still thinking about the experience that he had. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it's shocking but not surprising. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that you're My right. Friend, oh sorry. Yeah, yeah. No. I, I was kind of I saw you moving your you, you know, trying to get ready. I was trying. Oh my god, I was trying. I was really struggling. I kept pushing that I wasn't doing anything. Yeah, I didn't want um, you to talk with your mouth full and get because nobody we can't get to you do the Heimlich on you, so we just want to be sure. Yeah. Oh my god, earlier, Andrew, when you were giving your little introduction, y'all, I don't know if you saw me like get out of the frame. I swallowed a piece of romaine lettuce whole, and for a second there, I was like, Am I gonna make it? I did, obviously, but it was a struggle. Um, I, I just find it so interesting that you know this guy was so intent on arresting this young man that he wouldn't even go check for the receipt so i I mean i have a couple of questions one is this typical for stolen property i mean for them to just pull up like that like is that is that typical bj no see what happened they obviously they bought it the I guess they must have advertised on Craigslist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I mean is, how did they even confirm that it was the same vehicle that the owner had reported stolen? Because the owners were there. Okay, so the owner physically, okay, okay, that makes sense. And then they were able to verify it. Okay, that makes sense. Well, that at least clears that up for me. But but what I don't understand is, you know, he's so intent um, on like, you know, arresting this guy. It seems like he wants to be kind of a hard ass. And my expectation is, you know, if you're if you're saying, you know, no, you can't go get your dad. No, I don't care about seeing the receipt. To me, it seems like you're coming from a place of, well, I don't know that this receipt is valid, which understandable because you never really know. But that then begs the question, if you never really know, why did you let the white guy go but keep the black kid cuffed? Do you get what I'm saying? Like, it Mm -hmm. seems to be Mm -hmm. you're willing to go the extra mile to ensure that this, you know, vehicle was stolen and that you're going to be able to convict this person, but you're not so focused on it that you would let a potential suspect go. Do you get what I'm saying? So it's like, even if we are playing devil's advocate, even if I am saying, you know, well, the receipt doesn't mean anything because in all reality, it doesn't mean anything. It was still stolen. Um, You know what I mean? You can produce a receipt for stolen property. I understand, you know, that hesitance to be like, oh, okay, well, you know, you have a receipt, so it's valid. I get that. But again, Mm -hmm. if we're going to treat this situation like it is this, you know, super high profile forensic case, then I would assume that you would keep all perpetrators or all suspects that were there at the time of the sale. So to me, it just it just, again, goes to show how we criminalize blackness and we see whiteness as this kind of. I don't know, this perceived innocence. And that to me is crazy. It, it, it absolutely blows my mind. Yeah. I mean, I, right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I mean, I was a little surprised about the young white male that was with him. They, and I don't know whether because the young man said, yeah, you know, I, I bought it. You know, so he, he so he basically had the guy going, yes, it's, it's in my possession because, you know, I bought it. So that was pretty clear that. He I, and I mean, it. I get that. But right. still, you know what I mean? You can say same thing happens with drugs. If somebody, you know, if there are two people on the side of the road, y'all are both together Mm -hmm. and they're trying to see who the drugs belong to. And the guy says, well, these are my drugs. I bought them. Right. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to let the other guy go and be like, oh, he said he had nothing to do with it. So to me, you know, if I'm thinking about from the perspective of, you know, you seem like you you really want to solve this crime, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're you're really you're going at it. Um, you're willing to, you know, not listen to anybody. You're, you're handcuffing a 15 year old. The only thing it seems to be on this guy's mind is, you know, catching the perpetrator. So that's really what your your goal is to do 
mm-hmm. don't know why you wouldn't preserve the integrity of the quote unquote scene. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel about it. Right. And then Fuquay Barina, I mean, that's a predominantly white place in North Carolina, is it not? Uh, I don't know about the demographics, but probably so. But probably so. I feel like it is. Yeah. I mean, I, I think for me, I mean, yeah, I totally agree with, with, with everything that you said. And, and that's what the mother said at the end of this. She made a really good quote. I mean, she was talking about, you know, you, you didn't give, you didn't hear, as Andrew said, you didn't let me, you didn't hear him. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you just, you didn't hear him. And, and the thing for me, I think, you know, cause 2020 is always, you know, perfect, but um, he was in front of his house. Mm-hmm. He said, let me see my dad who's in the house and we show you the receipt. Uh, it, you know, for me, I guess, cause I'm just old school. I'm thinking he didn't run and he was compliant. He mm-hmm. didn't, he wasn't trying to resist, you know, cause, cause if, if something is stolen and you know, you know, for some bad guys, they're going to run, they're going to lie. They're going to be fidgety, whatever. And, mm-hmm. and even, I mean, to the point where you, you want to cuff them because you're like, OK, I need you to calm down because, you know, I just got to make because you're not being safe. But this young man was based on what we're reading wasn't like that. He was just like, I bought it. I have a receipt. Can we talk to my dad? And was it trying to run away? So walk him up to the daddy's house and just let him in. So, yeah, it was just. But but the other pieces that, you know, I want people to also understand is that um, his supervisor got there and corrected it. You know what I'm saying? Like he basically was based on what I've read. He was overheard telling the officer he should not have done that. Which but speaks, did he address the family? That's that's also my question. Is like, he, that, the obvi- he, he may not have. But what I want what what I want to say that that he may not have addressed the family uh, in a way that 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 the family would have been sad because I mean they probably they probably look at this point they probably ain't hearing no, nobody at this point right. But what I guess what I want to say, at least the supervisor understood there was that this was not the right thing to do. And he corrected the officer. And so I want people at least, you know, let's let's at least take a little time and look at look at that, which says something about that police chief's philosophy, that at least the, the, the supervisor knew that this was inappropriate and corrected it, corrected it at that moment and was like, we're not going to do this, which which speaks volumes as to. T- telling his officer no and and you were wrong and I, and I think we need to try to pay a little bit of attention to that but I think the other piece that I also appreciate is the family filing a complaint also BJ can I mention this real quick um, I looked at the demographic and I think it was 73% of Fuquay Barina is white okay just okay. as just as you know, a little bit of background of yes. where this is happening. This is in uh, North Carolina. For those of you that are not familiar, so we are definitely south of the Mason Dixon line, <laughs> right, uh, right, right in the Bible Belt. So yes. I think that cultural um, for for the point that you were mentioning as well is is also pretty important. Yeah, and and thank you for that. And also too, but you know, I got to remember too that people need to know we're 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 recording and broadcasting out of uh, Durham, North Carolina, the Bull City. My nephew is in uh, Greensboro, but we. We want to claim Bull City folks know where, where we at. So uh <laughs> <laughs> you gotta throw out the bull. Yeah, I gotta throw out the bull. That's right. So so yeah, but I think the other thing too is that the family filed a complaint. And I think that uh, and I uh, you know the work that UN five O does is the, the young man complied, was not he wasn't resistant, he did everything that he needed to do. Unfortunately he got handcuffed, but he is at home, you know, because that's what we want people to get to the house. But also the fact that this family filed a complaint about this issue and um that's just you know for me that's that's just that just speaks volumes if you don't feel like you've been treated correctly file a complaint so this is a advocate real quick yeah go right in you always do but go ahead well here's the thing uh, and and again i don't i don't have all of the context so i don't know you know if the supervisor addressed the family directly, but I think that there is something to be said about accountability. Mm-hmm. And from my perspective, um, and from the perspective of restorative justice, which doesn't just say, hey, you know, you messed up, this is the punishment, you did X, here is, you know, Y and Z. It, it really takes into account 
what the person that you have harmed needs to feel like the situation has been rectified. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think that it's good enough for you to correct an officer in that moment. That's, that's mm-hmm. only part of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. And to me, I think it implicates a larger issue within this system of policing, which is, again, we're protecting people that are on this side of the blue line. That means that I'm going to correct you, but n- not that I'm going to necessarily, you know, address and or condemn it outside of this, of this circle. And I think that that's, that's incomplete. Do you get what I'm saying? And like, in, in my opinion, and from my perspective, which, you know, I am a very, you know, hippity dippity type of person, <laughs> what good is the correction if it only goes to that specific officer? You know what I mean? It's not addressed with this boy. I, I assume it probably was not addressed with their families. There, there could have been, in my opinion, probably a lot more reconciliation, even if it wasn't at that moment. To say, hey, you know, this situation should not have happened like this. I'm able to acknowledge it. I need to have a conversation with my officer to understand why he thought that this protocol was appropriate. And then I want us to come back together and have a conversation about it. I think that that and, you know, possibly they don't have enough time. I, you know, I don't know. Schedules are crazy. Like you said, people may not be um, receptive. But in my opinion, in an ideal world, that's what justice and reconciliation and accountability really, really looks like. Accountability where, you know, you basically say sorry to your boss because they pointed out that you were wrong and your job depends on it, to me is not genuine accountability and it's not holistic accountability. We have to be accountable specifically to the people that we have harmed. And clearly this was a big, a big, big event for this guy. I mean, he's a 15 year old black male living in Fuquay, Verena, North Carolina. And so I think what Raleigh is probably the closest nearby city and that's at least 25, 30 minutes by highway. I mean, to a 15 year old that can't drive that feels like a world away. Um, So I just, I, I think it's not enough. I understand what you're saying. And I definitely think that that is very different than the other things that we've seen before. Um, And I, I love that we're starting to see that shift but I also have to come back to the fact that it's not enough. I think people um, in particular, uh, people of color are able to be pacified or have been you know, historically pacified because I mean, think about it this way. If, if you were beaten and made to, to work for free and live in subpar conditions, when you get the chance to be a sharecropper, it probably feels pretty good. And when you've been a sharecropper and you have the opportunity to find another position or for your children to find another position, that probably feels pretty good. So I feel like, you know, we get to these places where we're able to celebrate these small wins and, you know, in some cases, big wins, but we have to be reminded that it's not enough and that we're not even close to really touching the surface of, of how big this problem is. Okay. <laughs> no, no, I totally, I totally agree. In fact, that's what one other thing, the emancipate um, North Carolina is trying to um, trying to get an apology. And I, and, and I went to the website for Fuquay Arena and just based on the website, the police chief seems to be extremely progressive. So I, I'm, you know, I'm wouldn't, I would say I probably might bet 50 cents on it, but I got a feeling somebody's going to apologize to, to the family in some form or fashion. Um, yeah. her, but her, but she's got a lot of progressive things on her website that just, and she, that's what I mean. She, yeah. When I saw her, web, yeah. When I saw her website, I was like, wow, this, this, yeah. So I'm not speaking for her, but I, I know if I was in her position and the way her website looks i know if i had been given a call about what had happened i probably would have just bammed my head up against the wall and went you know i'm really trying i got this offside that it just messed up so i'm sure she's frustrated but i, but I think you know based on what i've seen on the website she was, it's going to be okay uh andrew do you have any input and we'll move on to something else another thing i could think of i was thinking about um i guess when i was reading about how i think i read that the, like someone superior like came up after that the whole situation yes. happened and it was like, hey, chill out. Like, y'all, y'all know what y'all are doing. Um, <laughs> so that just, um, I don't know, that that part not made me question stuff. It was like, I don't, I don't know what information that the other officer was lacking to have someone else have to come to tell you that you have to calm down. You have to do things differently. No, um, common sense. That's what he liked. <laughs> <laughs> all so, out. So that's all I was thinking about. Also, one more thing, BJ. I know, I know. I'll shut up in a second. No. But you had mentioned that you liked how she filed a complaint. And I think that that is 
one of the beautiful things that you do with UN50, I, I like that this, um, this program doesn't say, you know, basically shut up, you know, the police are doing the best they can and you just need to deal with it. And this is why they feel that way. I love that you are always very adamant about um, highlighting the importance of making a complaint and knowing how to make a complaint. And, um, you know, it comes from a place of privilege that a lot of us have access to this knowledge or even have like the time to invest in filing a complaint. Mm -hmm. um, so I love that UN50 makes this accessible and digestible to people that probably otherwise would not have access to this information or at least have not been present. It's not been presented to them in this way of you can file a complaint and this is a process that it goes through. I think what would be really interesting for a show of, is if maybe, you know, we could talk about the Durham Citizens Review Board process and maybe get somebody in from, from their team. Um, because it's been a while since I've heard about it. You were the one that taught me about it initially. Okay. And I just want to know how it's hopefully changed and evolved over, you know, the last six years that you and I have, have been working together. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I know the the chair. So, yeah, I, I'll... Um... I'll reach out to him this week. No, that's a good okay. idea. That's a really good idea. Thank you. Um, yeah, thank, and thank you for that. Yeah, it's all about following. Yeah, you got to file the complaints. And, and now, you know, she's making that family is like, okay, this is not acceptable. And we need the police department to do X, Y, Z or any other thing they feel like. And just have and just to have that conversation. You know, what went wrong? Do we need to do something different? You know, well, you know, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I don't feel like the office is going to get terminated, but there may be something that, you know, that that's going to happen internally. But at least the conversation is being had about this moment. And it would not have occurred if, if they had not done that. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. absolutely. That, and I mean, for it to be Fuqua Verena, too, like when I read it, I was like, oh, shit, here we go. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like I was just preparing myself for some type of just no. foolishness. And although no. it was some foolishness, I think it also says something about the officers that were there that were like, hey, nah, dude, you you doing too much. You know what I mean? And it, it mm -hmm. takes a special type of courage and bravery, in my opinion, to call out like your own person. You know what I mean? Like this is in, in law enforcement, correct me if I'm wrong, it's like a brotherhood. Like this is your family, especially if you're patrolling with somebody fairly often. So to be like, nah, you wrong. And then to do it in front of the people, you know what I mean? To call them out mm -hmm. in the moment, I think mm -hmm. is super impressive. And like you said, I think it goes to show that people are starting to have different conversations and perhaps these people have always existed. They just never knew that they had the bravery or had, you know, the, the ability to really stand up in these situations. Mm -hmm. And I love that as a culture, people have just been snapping back at all this racist crap that's going on. Did you hear about like Dr. Seuss? Oh uh, yeah. So the, I mean, I've heard about it. I'm not really understanding what's happening with his stuff, but yeah, I heard about it. Well, essentially they are saying that a lot of his books had, I guess like racist origins. Mm -hmm. I haven't read too much about it, but the fact of the matter is that people, people that are in control of publishing are talking about this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so impressive. I mean, Cause what ring around the rosy wasn't that a um that was a, yeah that was a um what was it it was a like the bubonic plagues um wasn't that right am i wrong i don't sure. know i don't know but there's it, maybe that's wrong what i'm thinking about but there are some like nursery rhymes that are racist like and people have known this for a really long time and it's kind of like oh well, we know it but you know it's a part of our culture like i read dr seuss growing up am i your mother was like my favorite book Loved it. One fish, two fish. That was my shit. You know what I mean? Like we knew. Yeah. Or my parents knew, I assume, and nobody just nobody did anything about it. I just I don't know. People are starting to clap back and people are getting snatched left and right. <laughs> stepping on next. And I appreciate it. Do you guys watch The Bachelor? No. And okay. if, I, if I did, I wouldn't admit it. But go ahead. Oh, it's so good, BJ. It's so good. So this guy's actually from North Carolina. Shout out to Matt James. <laughs> I don't know if you'll ever listen to this podcast, Matt James, but like literally I'm in love with you and I should have been on the show, but, and I almost slid in his DMs, but I didn't. Long story short, the co-host, <laughs> the host of the show had essentially defended one of the contestants that had been seen at an old South party like a, a slavery based party and it was banned by the university and the sorority decided to have the event anyway. And he said, well, you know, it's not a good look in 2020, 20, 2021 because of the woke police, 
but was it not a good look in 2018? His name's Chris Harrison. And, you know, several people from the franchise are calling for him to be removed and he has temporarily stepped mm. aside. Okay. So, you know, this is, this is a very pivotal moment. I feel like in our culture where <clears throat> people of color are being believed and they are actually being elevated to, to matter in a sense. And I wonder how much of that has to do with the other extreme side of the coin, which is, I think like MAGA supporters that are all mm. make America great again. I don't mm. know, a little bit of a tangent, but I'm, you know, I, I obviously political um, political climate and social climate affect people. So, of course, it affects police officers and citizens and how they interact. So, I don't know. I'm just interested to see um, how things continue to either progress or regress mm-hmm. um, right into this new presidency. Right. Anything, Andrew? You want to add to that? Now that I can think of, um, I was just listening. So now that I can think of. <laughs> As usual, you just kind of revert it back into just listening. So, so it's like uh, back to just Harmony and BJ show. <laughs> no, my fr- yeah. Wow, BJ, that was shady. I'm just gonna go ahead and call that out. That was shady. <laughs> well, that's what he sits back, you know, and just kind of abs- absorbs everything. So, not you know, and I appreciate that. That's what my that's what my nephew does. Um, so, real quick though, so I was telling you guys over so doing this research. Um, because the question was, what I was trying to answer for police officers were, you know, why why black folks looking at y'all all sideways? You know, what what's the history behind that? Because I think we talked about it early on about, you know, slave patrol mm-hmm. and slave, enslaved persons and how the history of that has gotten sanitized. Right. So I was trying to figure out. So so which means that young officers today, because and I and I actually, Andrew, I've been kind of referencing a comment that you made when we first started. You said, you know, I've heard of this, but I'm not real. I've heard kind of on the peripheral, which means as a black as black folks and young black folks, they don't you don't know the history, you know, because it's just not something that's just taught or, or whatever. So anyway, so I was doing this this thing about. Uh, how do I help young officers kind of understand this history of the black community and why they, why black folks look at you like that. And then I started looking at, um, you know, obviously Jim Crow laws, right. You know, racial segregation, keeping black folks and white folks separated. And um, then I was looking at like 1990, you know, the lynchings that started uh, Jim Crow after after the freedmen and all that. So basically, law enforcement was on the forefront of enforcing all these social norms. Right. You can't go to the library. You can't drink water. You can't go to the restaurant. You know, so the law enforcement is on the forefront of keeping black folks separated from white folks. And then um, the Jim Crow laws were being enforced by law enforcement back then between 1865. Technically, it lasted from 1865 to 1954, but we know it probably lasted a little longer, uh, like the, into the late 60s, because you had the civil rights movement and all, all, you know, all of that. You know, you got the dogs, you got the hose, you got all of that going on. And so why does this all look familiar? Is because, you know, you, black folks during Jim Crow couldn't go to the park, Right. Mm-hmm. So in 2018, a black family trying to have a barbecue in the park, get the popo called on them. Mm-hmm. You know, got some black females coming out of Airbnb, putting their suitcases up in California, you know, in a white neighborhood. You got the popo being called on them. And so all of that is just familiar to to us as a culture, because mm-hmm. it's like we we're we're still being kept out of this and law enforcement is the front line of that. You know, we realize that officers today weren't involved in that, but th- this is familiar because of what that that represents. And even in January down in Louisiana, a deputy died and his wife wanted to bury her in this cemetery. And the lady said, we can't bury you here because it's a white cemetery and we can't do it by the bylaws. The Jim Crow laws were still part of the cemetery in January of 2021. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, they, they met, you know? down at, yeah, down in Louisiana, yeah, I got the link and oh. the, the guy, um, you know, he'd been over backwards to, to, to remedy that. But the fact that it was still in the bylaws and this woman still was trying to enforce it was just like, really, y'all? 
Oof. Really? And oh, so that amongst that anyway, honey. <laughs> but it just it just shows you, you know, for black people, this stuff is just looks familiar, sounds familiar. And feels familiar because trauma has a way of literally transforming the body. And that mm-hmm. is yes. that's a part of evolution. And like that is why we are able to, you yeah. know, communicate and we're not just operating from that very primal fight, flight, yeah. or freeze. Yeah. Yeah. It's evolution. So it's like this is literally in our DNA. It yeah. is a part of our neuropathways. And I think in order to remedy yeah. that, we need more comprehensive justice justice you know in the traditional sense in my opinion and and traditional policing also in my humble opinion uphold white supremacy and yeah i just i don't know i'm i'm almost kind of like to be honest with you kind of sick of this conversation about policing if that makes sense like i'm tired of having to have this conversation over and over and over again Mm -hmm. but i feel like a part of the reason we continue to have the conversation is because we're still operating from this traditional standpoint of police citizens Mm -hmm. and also you know not doing the best job of training these folks or sourcing yeah but but also too it's still new you know saying i mean these things Mm -hmm. happen uh, very true you know you're talking you know for historically that they're saying 1865 to 1954 i mean i'm born three years later Right. Wait, when so, were you born? 1957. Yeah. Yeah. So look, my math ain't good. I'm trying to yeah. <laughs> calculate. Yeah. So so the thing is, this stuff is new. So, I mean, mm-hmm. so that means that uh, all young officers, their parents are aware of this. And, and, and depending on where you live, some of your parents or your grandparents probably knew some folks that might have gotten lynched. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So there, so we got to make sure that we at least recognize that, that this stuff is, this stuff's still new. This stuff still is relatively new. And these are stories that are told over this. You know, I think I mentioned uh, my father, uh, I think I mentioned this when, when we were talking about slaves. Uh, I mean, he wasn't a slave, but the fact that he went to sell his tobacco in the eastern part of the state and where we live in Martin County, and he asked the guy while he was trying to sell his tobacco because he, he wasn't getting fair market, right? He asked the white guy, the officer, why don't I? And I don't know what he told me that the guy said, but he knew because he was he was a black farmer standing beside his tobacco like all the other farmers, white farmers standing beside their tobacco, and he wasn't getting a fair market. So what he did one day, he started, he, what he did, he stopped standing beside his tobacco. Mm. And once he, once he did that, he began to get fair market because you know, they had to because they didn't know it was a black farmer. So mm-hmm. my, my father with a seventh grade education figured out how to, I got that. I'm just going <laughs> to go ahead and move away from this pile. Of <laughs> yeah, I got that. <laughs> so I mean, and so those are the kind of stories that my, you know, my, my parents have experienced. I've experienced, you know, being discriminated again and, you know, and all this kind of stuff. So I don't know. I think the history and this people need to understand. And then the other thing, the other thing I want that, that I also looked up was, there was a the first blue the ride in Chicago behind a uh, there was a there was a young black male in Lake Michigan and he obviously swam across the water at Lake Michigan across this uh, line right and ended up in the white water side of the beach and they threw a brick rock at him and killed him I mean it hit him it hit him and he drowned right black folks on the on the on the black side of Lake Michigan said and pointed to the suspect it was a white guy. And they didn't, needless to say, they didn't arrest him. So, of course, they had a major rod behind that. So that was in 1919. And they had a blue ribbon commission in 1922 to kind of look at, you know, what are the causes? You know, what that, right? So got 1922. Then there was a ride in Harlem based on a, a, a rumor saying a, a young man was uh, was beaten, but he wasn't. So there, but there still was a ride behind that. There was, you know, the ride in Watts, um, the watch riot, I think it was in 65. And then you had the Kerner commission in 1968 under Johnson, right? All of these individuals, all of these riots, so to speak, ended up with these reports as to why these riots occurred, you know, kind of wanted to get, get down into it. And you know, all of them, all of them had similar reasons, poor education, racial discrimination, issues with police, health these are the all of these basically are 
from 1919 to 1968 and still probably and what we're talking about today, the stuff that we're still talking about, disparities in health, education, job opportunities. These are the same things that these commissions found out of were the causes for these riots in the black community. You know, one of the reasons because, they, you know, they were being lynched. They were being segregated against and all this kind of stuff. And I just thought I just I was like, we're still dealing with stuff. From the, from night from this commission in 1922, they're having the same basic things that we're still talking about today in the black and brown communities. Mm-hmm. And and it, I I don't know. I mean I, I I'm I'm not exactly surprised, but it's just like how how many more reports do we need to? <laughs> you know, to make two and two equal four. I understand. I know. I'm just I like, come on, y'all. I mean, how, how many more times do you say if you if you if you educate because they were even saying, you know, got to educate the Negro children in the slums. OK, well, educate the Negro children in the slum, make the school. I mean, one of them in Washington we was saying they didn't even have cafeterias because they had to make room for the immigrants coming to California because they had to make the cafeterias classroom because it was so full. So they didn't even have they didn't have food at some of these schools. They recognize these issues, but did not do the funding and make these. It's just it's just. I don't know. Which kind of proves my point that you knew what the issues were. <sighs> now you just didn't care enough to do anything about it. Amazing. It was just absolutely amazing. It's just, I mean, again, and I think for me, and I know you're tired of talking about it, but it's like people got to understand uh, the history. And I think it's important for that's why I'm trying to do this piece about law enforcement, understanding, you know, over the years, this is why black folks looking at you all sideways. Well, I understand it's not your fault, but you need to understand why black folks keep saying I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. <laughs> you know, that that's nobody says that anymore. BJ. Nobody over the age of 85 says that. <laughs> you can mute just you can mute yourself now. <laughs> No, literally nobody says that, but people do. I just heard that recently. Somebody said that. You said it. And how old were they? (laughs) They were about my age. They said sick and tired of being sick and tired. In fact, it was a song. This is in a recent current song. The person said sick and tired of being sick and tired. Seriously. I'm okay. Don't let me find that song. Send me the link. I'll believe it when I hear it. Um, but also, just just a quick note. Shout out to us. Shout out to Black people. Just the the sheer resilience mm-hmm. uh, of of our community, in my opinion, is one of the most spectacular and amazing feelings. Like it is so exhausting to deal with racism and being criminalized, and as a woman of color, being overly sexualized. Yes. But just to know, I don't know, just how far we've come against all odds, how we keep fighting, how we're resilient, how, you know, yeah. all three of us are brave enough to have these conversations on a platform that is very public. So, yeah, shout out to us. Shout out to Black people. It's Black History every month this year. I'm going to keep reminding <laughs> you guys. Uh, yeah, I'm just, I don't know. I'm proud of it. I'm incredibly proud. And I don't know, just thankful to be Black. Blackity Black. And every month I'm a black, <laughs> black, black, black. <laughs> Andrew, what you got to say, my man? Just so glad just, to have you back. Just thinking about some of the things that y'all were talking about um, and how they relate to like all those experiences. That's a cop out. Say it again. That's a cop out. We're going to need for you to have something else to say. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think like, um, it was really random. It's, it's been on my mind for a few days, but it's a tangent so it's not i guess it's related but not related at the same time but um like recently there was an incident in front of my apartment complex where um someone died um someone got shot as a dude who got um shot in in front of my um apartment complex and the way the where where i live um it's like a townhome complex so there's not an actual street in front of me there's like a it's like a it's like a cul-de-sac of some sort um do you know do you know where block 43 is harmony you know, it's okay. It's I don't so all the time. Okay, but is it? I feel like is it the nice town homes that are like different colors outside? Yeah. Okay. Yes, I do know what you're talking about. All right. So that's where is this not working? I sent you the article, but um, so basically, someone um got shot, but that's like, I came home to uh, my where I live was blocked off by um caution tape, so I couldn't I couldn't park in front of my home like I usually do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I walked up to this um to the scene of the crime scene. Um, I stood stood at the end of the caution tape, and there was a white Caucasian officer who walked up to me, and um, 
I guess like every interaction I have with police, I'm not going to forget them anymore. I don't know. I don't know why I'm just never going to forget each and everyone doesn't matter if it's good or bad. Mm -hmm. Um, And when he walked up to me, he asked, um, what what are you doing here? Where are you trying? Where are you? What are you doing here? Where are you trying to go? Um, And it it was just very abrasive the way that he approached me. I understood the, the severity of the situation. There was like it had just happened like maybe two hours ago. So there was the man's blood was still on the ground. There was his coat and stuff was still there. Um, He wasn't there. He was um, transported to the hospital and and such, but there was still an active events, like an active crime scene going on. So I told him like, I live literally a hundred feet away. I was trying to get into my home. Um, And then he just told me to go on um, and walk on the edge of the thing. Um, But I guess I have been thinking about it for a few days because just the, like I mentioned, the abrasiveness of how he approached me, but I, I was trying to be cognizant of the severity of what his mind was going through mm-hmm. um, and like things like that. I know that they were dealing with a lot of things. It was around 10 o'clock at night, so he was probably tired. So just just certain things, like, I guess that certain interactions that I know are not like charged with things, but um, just certain things that, certain interactions that stick with me, if that makes any sense. Um, mm-hmm. And I was thinking about it as y'all, as y'all were talking. Definitely. Yeah, were that's fair. Yeah. Go, go ahead, Harmony. What were you saying? I was just asking, were you at home, Andrew, when that happened? Or are you, okay, uh, so you were just coming back. Oh, well, yeah. I'm glad that you're safe. Me too. I was coming back. My neighbor texted me and said someone, there was someone shot outside of our house. Um, man, I wasn't home. He died, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did. Yeah. I, you know, I actually thought about you because I saw, I saw something on the local channel about subject being a homicide in Greece. Yeah, right, it was right, right outside my window. Like, I, I can still look outside my window and see that. Um, I don't know what it's called, but I know the powder that they put over, like when kids throw up in school, that mm-hmm. brown powder, there's still the powder on the ground from when they were covering it up. Yeah, to absorb the blood. Yeah. Yeah. So, really good. well, yeah. You know what? I, and I appreciate you, you, um, you know, at least acknowledging the fact that, you know, where the officer's space may have been during that moment. You know what I'm saying? I mean, not that not to take any excuse of that, but I appreciate your willingness to, you know, be flexible enough to know that it's, you know, doing stuff like that. It it, it puts you in a whole different space when you're having to mm-hmm. move around bodies and you don't, you know, you just, you don't you, know. yeah, you just, you don't, you don't know. And not, and, and not, you know, we don't know if they were like still looking for the suspect, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So I, I, appre- I appreciate your willingness to, yeah, you know, people walking around, stepping in people's blood and, you know, having to deal with families, you know, because you know, somebody's got to go break the news to the family. So, yeah, officers can get into a zone and, and yeah, but I, I appreciate that. But you're right. Um, it's, it's, do you deal with a lot of like, I know this is off topic, but now <laughs> do you deal with a lot of like crime scenes like that, like homicides? Yeah. Homicides. You did? Yeah, yeah. I just like honestly us talking about it like I feel sick to my stomach and I kind of feel like sad um and I just can't like I can't imagine doing that once like literally ever in my life but then to have to do that like several times over the course of your career I mean thank god that there are people that that do this work but whew, like I'm I really feel like sick wow yeah it's uh yeah, it's not. Yeah, yeah. I probably would not be <laughs> in that situation either. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think. I mean, I, I guess I, just so you, what what you learn is, if if nothing else, what what we learn is law enforcement and and having it when you have to, you just kind of have to say it. You know what I'm saying? Especially when it comes to having to deliver this information that nobody ever wants to hear, because having a police officer walk up and knock on your door and you ain't done nothing wrong, you know, it's not going to be good news. So we, what we learn is you, you just, you can't stumble. You, you got to be quick. And, and some agencies uh, actually have chaplains that go to do that themselves. They have a chaplain for, with the police department to mm-hmm. either, go, either go with the officer or the investigator, or just go and, and help deliver that and be with mm-hmm. the family to, to, to just be with them, which I think is really good. A lot of departments have, especially if they can afford it, have a, ha, have that. So, you know, if we have that in Durham County. I'm just curious. Yeah, I know we do. I don't know whether he's still there. Uh, okay. he's, yeah. He, it was, isn't, he was actually, he, he's retired now. He was, it was, I was with there with him and I think he's still the chaplain for Durham police department, whether he still does some of that. I, I don't know, but I, yeah. but I know that some agencies do, but yeah, it's a, uh, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. 
I'll share some of that with you sometime if you want to hear. But that's just Honey, I'm take it. I'm over here. <laughs> no, don't be sick. So look, so yeah, this has been really cool. I'm so excited that Andrew came yeah. back. How are you going to cut me off like that? You know oh, what? I'm sorry. What'd you say? Don't worry about it. <laughs> well, no, you were talking about being sick, right? No, I'm talking about like now I'm about to be ready to like stalk this guy. Like I'm about to find his obituary. I'm about to see. Oh. But I just I, like I'm one of those people that like oh. holes. Like if I watch true crime, like a true crime oh. documentary, I'm going to Google afterwards. I want to see if there are infractions. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I, just, I can't stop. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like I've said before, there's a 12 step program for that. So anyway, so <laughs> that was funny. Like, did no, you get that? No, I did. Did Andrew get that? No, he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Right. Oh, well. All right. So thank you very much. And I, I appreciate this conversation that we've had. And I am so happy the team's back together. Andrew, congratulations again on your internship. Uh, That's really awesome. Glad Molly is good. Waffles is looking good over there, even though he's humping stuff. But, you know, his cat's got to do what a cat's got to do. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, any parting words, uh, Harmony? Um. I love how this conversation has made me feel um, thankful to be black, but I love how Andrew also, I, I think that the story that he told is just a testament of like emotional intelligence and involvement over time. You know what I mean? Not, not him necessarily, but I know for somebody that's probably, you know, 10, 20 years older than him, it's probably hard to do that again, because we weren't having these, compassion-based conversations to look at both sides in an emotionally intelligent and I would say more complex way. So, you know, I I also want to say that I'm really thankful for police officers. Um, The job is not easy. I couldn't do it. I say all the time, like if I had to be a police officer, we literally would all be screwed. Uh, (laughs) I couldn't handle it. I know that I couldn't handle it. So I'm really thankful for the men and women in uniform that show up for the right reasons and that continue to show up despite the circumstances, because it, first of all, it's hard work to do. And then it's hard work to do and then be disrespected and or treated like the enemy. So yeah, just really thankful for, for the people that, that show up regardless um, for us and for our communities, even though it's tough. Right. Wow. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Andrew, you got any parting words? Um, I guess mine will be similar to what Harmony said and also um, echoing, um, I guess the, gen- the general conversation just, um, I guess staying, making sure that like individuals, police officers, and anyone in any facet or profession just make sure that they ha- are more intentional with the interactions that they have with people. Like the interaction that I have with the officer, although it wasn't negative, um, this my me stepping out of the car and having to walk near a crime scene number one, near a police officer when like I understand this this color of my skin and the, and other things that go into the, the thought of me having to be in that situation just in general. Mm-hmm. Um and then relating it back to Malcolm's situation. So there's certain things where it's like stuff like that will never leave people. Um so it's wow. like you never know the the action. Like I know neither one of those parties knew that that was going to happen that morning, but it's like, mm-hmm. you just have to be careful about what things you, what things are charged throughout the day um, and the interactions that you have with people. So be more intentional with the conversations because you never know how harshly it will stick with them for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. Love that. Yeah, I do too. I mean, you're, you're right. Cause you, you, <laughs> you, cause you never know what chapter of that person's life you're entering in on. So you need to be cognizant of that, you know, that we, everybody's got their own stuff and uh, whatever you however you interact with them can be a, can have a lasting impact on them. So, yeah, thank you guys. I really appreciate that. All right. So hopefully, um, we will come back again, hopefully. And just like I said, I'm just, I keep saying this. I'm just so glad the team's back together and I appreciate it. And always, I appreciate those of you that are, you know, faithful and listening to us. And as always, be safe, be well, peace. <laughs>